Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are the Architects of Entropy, and this is Season 2, Episode 1. We made it to Season 2. <laughs> yes. So in case you're joining us for the first time, we thank you from the bottom of our cold, dead little hearts. And uh, just the briefest explanation as possible about what this is. This is a tabletop RPG actual play podcast where we will play different role-playing games for a certain amount of time. And the narrative and worlds of those games will be created collaboratively by the cast, henceforth uh, known as Architects because that, that's the name we decided on way back when. And I, I think it's appropriate. So it's a collaborative world-building tabletop RPG podcast that just comes tripping off the tongue. So this new season is a entirely new game and an entirely new story. Our first season, uh, you can go back and listen to that, about 57 episodes. It was Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, a collaboratively built high fantasy world with a couple members of the new cast uh, responsible for creating or helping to create. But before I introduce the game, I want to introduce the cast really quickly. My name is Patrick. I am an actor, performer, and I play and run a lot of role-playing games. We have a couple returning folks uh, with us today, and some of us will be coming in and out occasionally, but our core cast will consist, uh, first I will welcome Scott, who came in about a little more than halfway through as a permanent cast member of season one. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Scott. Well, I usually uh, I usually come in about halfway through, that, so this is weird for me, but uh, I, I don't know. There's really not too much to say. I uh, do the role-playing game stuff, and I appear on this podcast and that's really what's noteworthy also if you do that search i was totally acquitted of those charges that stuff's bullshit and i don't want you guys to get wrapped <laughs> up in it. yeah uh that, that's i that, no that's it make some stuff up listeners right. at home it'll be more exciting and i will introduce a couple of new cast members let's talk to jillian jillian Hello. Welcome to the cast you have uh, guested on a few great episodes in the past uh, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, I am a happily married stage manager slash housewife. I have been role-playing for about 20 years now. That makes me feel really old. I got some bad news for you, Jillian. It's <laughs> yeah, longer than that. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> oops. All right. I, I, I met you a, a little Slate. bit over 20 years ago, and you were still sure. playing then. But. I know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I've been role-playing for a very long time. There you go. Um, I'm a professional freelance stage manager and a non-professional freelance housewife. All right. Awesome. And let's talk to the other half of this uh, incredibly talented couple, John. Hey, everyone. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm John. I have been role-playing for X years. We'll leave X as an exercise for the audience. <laughs> uh, we kind of specialize in rule of darkness star wars sci-fi role-playing games and the like i've take done time both in front of and behind the screen none of it in prison which is what that sentence sounded like for some reason <laughs> uh in my in my oh, i do have a story oh no <laughs> oh no i in my professional life i'm a software developer 
So that gives me lots of time for uh, coming up with stuff. And returning will be, uh, I'll say, a, a at the very least reoccurring uh, character, Rick, the, uh, I want to say, the moral cornerstone of our last campaign. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I've been, I'm not afraid. I've been role-playing for 40-plus years. So, you know, <laughs> hey, the rest of you can feel young. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know. Wor- work is totally not interesting, so I'll totally leave that yeah, off the table. Yeah, um, yeah I've been be- <laughs> I've been behind the screen and in front of the screen, John, just like you. Again, not in prison. I really love the uh, Forged in the Dark role-playing system. I've GM'd it numerous times, and I I think it's great, and I think it's going to be really good for us, what we try to do, and for uh, audio. Awesome. Yes. Just a very, very quick word. Uh, I I am a big proponent of role-playing games as therapy, uh, role-playing games in education, and role-playing games in institutional settings like like prisons and corrective uh, 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 facilities. Um, There are some who ban it because of content or uh, misnomers about gambling, Um, but I I think that... uh, uh, that's nonsense. But um, anyway, that's I'll get off my I'll get off my soapbox about prison D and D role playing. Um, yes, and uh, yes, uh, thank you guys once again for agreeing to stick with this crazy idea I had right back before COVID hit. I will, <laughs> the uh, the last season encompassed about three years of uh, of my life and ran for about two and a half years uh the uh, subsequent seasons should be should be much shorter than that uh unless we're having too much fun and the story gets really crazy uh but as for what we are going to be doing in season two we are going to be moving from high fantasy to space fantasy and the game is scum and villainy uh, which is by uh, Evil Hat Productions. The game from Stras Asimovich and John LeBouf Little, based on the game Blades in the Dark, which is uh, probably more known to role-playing enthusiasts. It uses a system called Forged in the Dark, which uh, they describe it's a collaborative discussion between a GM and players in which narrative certainty is resolved with dice which is kind of a very basic way to describe role playings in general, like collaborative discussion. If you boil it all down is not as boring as it sounds, but it is very, a, a very concise version of this. Uh, you can also call it, you know, an improv game with a lot more complex rules than freeze. But in this game, our characters are star faring criminals or, uh, renegades uh folks kind of working uh against the system and the similarity in tone is uh, akin to uh, star wars or guardians of the galaxy firefly cowboy bebop uh, all of these things cyberpunk uh is a big influence i think is going to be on this one as well Shadowrun, as far as games go I-, I see being a big part of this but as for the world itself uh we abandoned the setting of this game and have uh, made our own and i'll do a quick intro to this world we created and hopefully it will make sense in the far far future 
and galactic authority known as the League of Chartered Worlds rules over a vast collection of star systems spreading out from ancient Earth, the home of humanity. Throughout the centuries, the League has maintained peace and order throughout countless worlds. The League Charter allows its member systems a great amount of leeway to preserve the native cultures of its member worlds. This openness has allowed the sharing of knowledge among sentient beings, resulting in great leaps of technology and the development of psychic abilities, and most importantly, the discovery of the power that has become known as the Warp. Warp allows sentience to sense and manipulate entropy and have become a polarizing force in the galaxy. Many systems of belief have sprung up due to the Warp's influence, including but not certainly limited to the Colossian Orthodoxy, which has become the most popular religion in the galaxy. The League now stretches out to the furthest reaches of space. The outer sectors are so remote that the League relies upon allies to maintain order in such lawless worlds. It is in such a sector that our story takes place. It is overseen by an organization that relies heavily on its citizens and resources of the member worlds. Several major corporations operate here and a council of representatives shepherd the sector by league contract. As long as this corporate council maintains peace and order, the contract remains in place and the league is satisfied. Can the profit-driven corporate council truly govern fairly here? If not, can the league really do anything about it? Are the citizens no more than cogs in the machine of industry and commerce? If so, who will truly look out for them? What mysteries lie in the dark corners of the galaxy waiting to be uncovered? Has humanity reached its pinnacle now that the forces of reality can be manipulated in such a complex universe? How can a small group of weirdos earn cred and make a life for themselves? I guess we'll have to figure that out. Welcome to the Ayamora Sector. A quick note for people who have uh, listened to season one, you're going to see, uh, find a lot of Easter eggs, uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, concepts, ideas, and even some characters that might have slipped through cracks in the multiverse. Uh, that is uh, another big part of our world creation is uh, each world will in one way or another inform the next in some uh, some small way. It also uh, makes it easier for us to make up new shit when we can base it on other shit we've already made up. Really, really, really easy. So, really love to repurpose shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the repurpose. Yeah, it's much much easier than homebrewing from the start. Making shit up is hard. Reduce, reuse, recycle, and repurpose. We've done a good amount of work on this world, but there's a lot of holes that we will fill along the way. And another nice thing about the Forge in the Dark rule set is that it allows for this collaboration amongst the players. It gives them more freedom to describe things and uh, set truths in their world that might not just be about their characters, but about other things. A lot of things are defined in this system by just like a sentence or a couple of sentences. And that gives you a lot of creative input, which is what this show is all about. Because uh, this is new territory for some of us, and I have uh, certainly not run uh, as much of this as uh, I know Rick has, but I have played in Rick's games. So that's helped as well. So this first session is going to encompass not only introducing our characters and the story, but giving a uh, kind of primer on how this game works itself. There are three modes of play. One is free play, which does not have any uh, structure as far as uh, game mechanics. 
And then there is the job, which is a mission-based system. So whatever job that this crew gets, there will be a certain framework in which there are things that they have to keep track of. And then there's downtime, which uh, has mechanics of its own, but free play is always something that is slipped in and out of pretty easily. So let's meet our characters and we're going to meet them in a setting that is not unfamiliar to role-playing games. In a bar, we find ourselves in a place called Swampfoot. Swampfoot's uh, commonly thought of as a haven for smugglers and pirates, uh, and uh, oftentimes a place where people looking to uh, escape something uh, wind up. Our players will be meeting in a bar called the Silent Alarm. And I'm going to do this randomly. So let's have everybody roll D6. Okay. Six. Two. Five. Four. All right. So, John, we will start with you. Oh. So, important question. Yes. We're meeting at the silent alarm. Do we know each other yet? That's a very good question. In our session zero, we kind of took roles and then just kind of made characters as we were talking about the world. And it became clear that you guys don't know each other at the beginning of the campaign, but this is your introduction. When we started the last campaign, it kind of worked the same way. We wound up having, you know, two characters traveling together, but literally had just met and they met, you know, the third character when they arrived where they were going. So this is how this crew is formed and how you get your ship. Now, uh, it will seem through the narrative like the ship is something that they uh, did not put together themselves. But uh, behind the scenes, the players did create this ship. And here's another important thing. The ship actually is a character in and of itself. It is the home of your characters and it determines what kind of crew you are. You picked what is normally the star dancer. We decided to give it a different name, but essentially you are illicit merchants, smugglers, and blockade runners. It's a light freighter that is made to carry a certain amount of freight and move fast. Consider it something akin to the Millennium Falcon or Moira from Farscape or Serenity or whatever the ship and Cowboy Bebop was. I can't remember the name of it. The Bebop. Was it? <laughs> it was. It was. Right. Wait, so that wasn't an original idea we had? God damn it. <laughs> I thought we knocked that one out of the park. <laughs> I know. I was I was I was excited oh. for the franchise rights. What, yep. <laughs> what is this Falcon you're talking about? Hang on. Uh, <laughs> I'll put it on the list. Oh, also in my biography, I've been frozen since 1945. So. <laughs> we have some exciting news to tell you about World War II. <laughs> yeah, I have heard it turned out really well. <laughs> well, well, for some, well, not so yeah. well for millions and millions of others. Well, well, you wouldn't notice from the preponderance of Nazis around. Anyway, we should move on. I'm sorry I interrupted. Yes. I try to stay quiet. Let's, once again, we need to escape the horrors of reality and go to the horrors of fiction. So, John, you have received word of a job from your trusted contact, Slice, a junkyard owner. They have told you that 
there's uh, someone on Swampfoot who is putting a crew together for a job that has been described as a milk run. A simple job that can't in any way become complicated for any number of other reasons. So you have nothing to worry about. But the news is, if you can get on this crew, you can get a steady supply of cred, which everyone needs. So as you enter this enter this place, uh, Swampfoot is not called Swampfoot for no reason. It exists on the uh, world known as Wenya, a world that is largely lush planet, uh, poor in minimal resources with a mildly corrosive atmosphere. And the port of Swampfoot is constructed at the edge of a massive swamp known as Oblivion that is surrounded by a massive metal wall made of desiccated construction behemoths that keeps the swamp from encroaching too far on this ramshackle starport. And it's also uh, supported by a somewhat reliable force shield. This is the lowest of the low for spacefarers. The bar itself is poorly lit. Lots of uh, shadows and angles and places for people to hide. The bar is being manned by a uh, reptilian alien who rarely speaks, but definitely seems to listen intently to whoever is at the bar pouring out their souls. All you know is that the crew is to gather at the northernmost booth underneath a red neon V. Uh, that was apparently part of a red neon sign that read something with a V in it, but all the rest of it is gone. So, John, please describe and tell us about your character. Alrighty then. Tristan Obadiah is a mechanic who comes from a transport guild ship. Now, one of, one of the things with the transport guild is they have these large freighters that go on runs between planets that can last, and the entire run can last decades. So each ship has a kind of family associated with it. Uh, if you were a fan of Star Trek Enterprise, there was a there was an app that the Navigator came from a ship like that. Tristan, for whatever reasons, has decided to go off on his own. He is a short man. Uh, about five feet total, which makes him great for getting into cramped engine compartments, but very large, very, very stockily built uh, with large grease and scab calloused hands. Given that he's trying to find a job, he's wearing his tool belt, which has any number of both far future gadgets as well as hammers and screwdrivers. So Tristan will see the bullet ground for the V and head over to that table. Actually, no, he will stop at the bar first and ask for a pint of whatever passes for the local ale. All right. You uh, sidle up to the bar, and as you get closer, you kind of see that this is a humanoid with a essentially like a snake head. They have the skin is this kind of mottled red, but they wear a kind of utilitarian uh, looking set of coveralls with, you know, a bar rag hanging off the side. And as you approach, they uh, lean down. What kind of gets you, stranger? I would like a pint of ale, please. Ah, yes. 
We have a number of vintages of uh, many different worlds, but I think you will find this one uh, quite delightful. This is an ale that is brewed by a spacefaring family. Those always tend to be very good. They call it the engine grease. And uh, she goes over to this machine that has all kinds of nozzles and and levers and doohickeys and clicks in a couple of keys on a little pad and a dark but not thick liquid comes out. It is of the correct consistency of an ale, but it is has almost the appearance of like a stout just in its coloration. But you can kind of smell an odor that is kind of a mix of a mid-range beer, but just just a hint of engine oil. But in that way that you know how the smell of gas sometimes is good for some reason? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like that. That's why I'm like um, this. No, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> and when you smell it a lot, like get really up in there and smell for a good long time. Woo! Great. Good times. Um, but, and then she hands you and says, uh, I am Sylvia. Welcome to the Silent Alarm. Well, it's pleased to meet you, Sylvia. He takes the pint glass, brings it up. He sniffs it that way and says he knows that he knows what he's doing when it comes to tasting beer. Oh, this is this is good. Takes a sip. And this is definitely the kind of thing that is homebrewed on transport guilt chips. They often will mix little hints of, you know, the smells of home. Where did you source this? Ah, uh, well, they, uh, a ship came through uh, maybe about a month ago. I believe it was called the Ganges. Uh, and this is a ship you know of. This is a uh, this is a uh, another freighter that is uh, pretty has a close relationship with the open with the Obadiah. It's a younger ship. It's more of like a collection of families, smaller families that are kind of unified together and got a charter through the guild. But your family had vouched for them, so they're not unknown to you. But you have not sampled this particular vintage. This is maybe something that they've been working on. But it's really good. Thank you. Yes, I believe your seat is over there. Uh, thank you. He says, kind of backs away from the bar, looks around, heads towards the table. And as you, yeah, as you kind of walk down to the other side of the bar, this uh, short, uh, blue-skinned humanoid alien just kind of goes, don't be bothered. She knows everything. That's her whole thing. She picks up information from everywhere, but she's like a vault. I mean, I guess that's a good trait in a bartender in a place like this, right? Yeah, that's a good trait uh, in a bartender for sure. And it's an excellent, excellent trait in a spy. <laughs> Not that Sylvia's a spy. I mean, Sylvia's a bartender. Well, if she was a spy, that would be fine. I have nothing to be spied on over. <laughs> ah, I'm just fucking with you. She's not a spy. And then he just kind of gets quiet and leans back over his drink. <laughs> And he realizes that just as he says that and goes down and uses his drink, you see Sylvia just kind of turn her head back over from where he was. Her tongue flicks out very quickly in a snaky way. And you're pretty sure she just winked at you. Foundly disturbed. Tristan will make his way over to the table. All right. And as you do, Rick, your character will enter the bar as Tristan is uh, taking his seat. All right. So, uh, 
the camera will show a red robed figure, dark red, uh, kind of just look around. It seems to have a pretty decent physique, like maybe some sort of laborer or something. Plain and unassuming face, maybe in their late teens, early 20s. Walks over to the bar, sits down on a stool for a moment, uh, waits for the bartender. You wait for just a second as this snaking looking alien is topping off someone's drink. And then she looks down, she sees you, and then goes down under the bar into a cabinet and then pulls out a ancient looking bottle and pours this very thick red liquid and then slides it over to you. Do you have food? Yes. Whatever your most nutritious house specialty is. Yes. I think I can whip up a salad of some kind. Or stew. Whatever you have. Of course. And this very, very old wine, the smell is just kind of wafting into you and it, it is filling you with memories, but you're not sure of what. <laughs> right. And I'll drink it experimentally and slowly. There'll be a funny puzzled look on his face. and Yeah. And as you do, you can feel it's a warm feeling, not different than, than drinking like a, a every rich glass of wine, but there's something to it that is tickling parts of the back of your mind, such as it is. This is probably something you have had long ago in another life. So I'll look at it thoughtfully. And when they bring the food up, water, something non-alcoholic as well? Of course. Thank you. It's a uh, very light salad made of locally sourced non-corrosive greens and uh, <laughs> whatever you would probably like. Yeah. All the swamp salad. <laughs> swamp salad's the best salad. At that point, you do notice the uh, booth with the V over it, and there is a stout young uh, gentleman drinking there. So, oh, thank you. And I'll grab the uh, salad in my drinks, and I'll kind of look puzzled as, like, I only have two hands. And then just one of the other drinks will just start floating next to me as I walk over there. <laughs> <laughs> and as this gentleman makes his way to the table, we will see Scott. All right, the camera will pan over from the table to the entrance, and a gentleman would come in. He has a duster coat over what appears to be a, a standard issue medical tunic available at all of your finer uniform villages with no insignias on it. And he's brushing what can only be described as just the general atmosphere off of his coat. Not in disgust, but just, you know, it's swampy out there. <laughs> uh, and then at some point it, real, it dawns on him that it's pretty swampy in here and it doesn't matter, so he'll mm -hmm. stop. And he will uh, sidle up to the bar. And the moment there is any indication from the bartender that she has noticed him, he will order something that is toxic to humans. He is human man. He is middling height. Uh, he's got a little bit of a hunch, like somebody who's always hunched over for work. So they work at a console or a workbench all the time. And he's maybe in his mid to late 50s or is younger than that and has had a hard life uh, or hard lived in any way darkish brown hair with, with a fair amount of gray in it. Tradazian mushroom whiskey. I don't know. Something poisonous. And whiz-bang cola, if you've got one. Always. We keep them cold. And she goes over uh, to her machine and keys in a series of numbers and then a little alarm uh, with a red <laughs> light just kind of it goes on and off quickly a little a little, a little very small alarm sound and then she clicks again on a thing to basically say yep that's what i meant 
and a really weird greenish liquid kind of spits out and she leans down to a little cooler near that machine and pulls out a bottle of uh, Whizbang Cola. What does a bottle of Whizbang Cola look like, Scott? Oh, well, it's got a very uh, elongated kind of bottle. It used to be 12 ounces, but uh, in modern society, uh, people want more sugar water for their bucks. So now it's a solid 20 ounce, but it's very elongated. So it can fit very different kinds of hand or tentacle sizes because Whizbang is the cola of all races um, <laughs> and uh, species. I think I'm supposed to say species now. I think that's that's less all creepy. Species. Say yeah, all species. yeah, that's yeah, yeah, let's, yeah let's, let's do that. Let's, let's so their 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 slogan is probably for all races but they yeah. mean species. They just run by a lot of old white men. What are you going to do? Uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, and so it is It is there and it's very colorful. It's very clearly a drink made for children uh, or maybe uh, infantile teenagers. I will pick it up delightedly and I will grab up my little, little shot of poison and I will uh, look around for the, the red V and do some math like how many people I thought was going to be here. I'm very excited that I'm not late. Oh, oh, uh, Hello. Hello. Have you tried the salad? It's quite good. I mean, I guess it looks okay. I prefer a bit of more hearty meals, but I was surprised at the beer, though. I didn't actually think a bar like this was going to have a really good selection. Hmm. It's a spacer bar for outlaws. They're generally a hard-drinking bunch. I mean, anywhere where you get Caucasian mushroom whiskey, and I will, like, push it kind of away from everyone. I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. It's a highly toxic whiskey that certain species find tolerate a little bit better, so in, in them it gives just an intoxication. But in, in most species, it's it's highly toxic. It will uh, kind of eat away your cellular walls of your digestive system, turn you into soup, basically. I'm surprised they gave it to me. Are you one of the species that can drink it? Oh, God, no. <laughs> well, I mean, I could drink it, but I certainly wouldn't survive. But then why did you order it? Well, I don't know our employer, so I figure I can either throw it in his face or I can drink it and problem solved if something goes wrong. We're a strange man. I've heard that before. You're not wrong. And this reinforces uh, something uh, when you received word from your friend Lenny that there was a ship that needed crewing. He did say that he uh, wasn't able to gather a lot of information on the captain of the ship, but from what he was able to gather that this guy was referred to as kind of out on the edge, not really sure the edge of what. So, you know, keep your head on a swivel. Need those creds. That uh, cyborg army is not going to build itself. I mean, well, eventually it will, but not now. And at this point, Jillian, yes. your character will arrive precisely when they're needed. Of course. Uh, like it or not, they've kind of been here the whole time. At another table. Slightly to the left of the big V, there is a card game going on between a dashing figure in a long coat, an impossibly colored vest made of patchwork from probably about a hundred different surcoats, nice pants, knee-high boots, basically impeccably coiffed, and uh, their makeup game is of course on point. They are dealing what look to be large cards, probably about three by five. Like, these are big cards. 
to four other people in a star pattern. They flip a card. Alright, that is the six of batons, the eight of stars, and the two of gears. There's no help there for you, sir. What are you, Auntie? Oh, they kind of wiped me out. Uh, and uh, they go into their pockets and, and pull out just some loose change. I can get you. I mean, if this is good for now, I can. I can. I, I might be able to get you. You know, uh, half a cred. Let's cut a deal. Why don't you go up to the bar, get me a nice glass of Happy Valley Riesling, and then uh, maybe a uh, undefined favor to be cashed in later. Uh, okay. Sorry, the warp wasn't with you this time, my friend. Uh, well, I'll just. You know. Give me that glass of wine. Be careful. Yep, be careful. May the weave be with you, and uh, get the older vintage of Riesling. The newer ones are just not that great. Okay. Heard there was a huge corporate takeover, and the family farm got bought out. You know how that is. Yeah, well, you know the families. (sighs) Damn shame. And uh, they go uh, scurrying off towards the bar, just kind of every once in a while glancing about. Uh, as if something could jump out of any dark corner and just grab them up based on uh, uh, their fortune. Turning your head to the booth where your crew is supposed to meet, if if Aura, your info broker contact, was indeed correct. Sometimes she likes to fuck with me. No, true. And someone of uh, your talent and skill, uh, she will uh, have to get creative at times, but... There's always a place for they, they sort of look over the booth. Friends, shipmates, fellow scum, lend me a seat. And they just flip over the wall and just land right in the middle, like probably between Zemgus and Tristan. Just, hello. 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 That was super cool. <laughs> I know. Name's Remy. Remy Moreau. Anybody up for game cards? No, thank Yeah, I'll pass. <laughs> I mean, I, no, I, I guess not, no. I'm shocked, shocked and dismayed. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to dismay you. I mean, if we're gonna be cruel, if we're gonna be friends, if we're gonna be lacking on the family and we can't share a friendly game? Well, I mean, maybe we should find out what's going on before a friendly game. Right down to business, all right. <clears throat> I grok that. And at that point, all of a sudden, the lights in the bar go out. Ah, shit. And then, after a briefest moment of murmurs from parts of the room you didn't even know had people in it, the lights come back on, and standing in the center of the room, you see a tall, slender human man with medium-length, straight, white hair a very uh, long and somewhat chiseled face though definitely quite a bit of age on it a strikingly well manicured van dyke he is wearing a long coat of strips of like 40 different kinds of fabrics and leathers in different colors not too dissimilar to your outfit, Remy, but this definitely looks almost like it's 
in rings of like planned chaos and essentially just straight chaos. The sleeves are those kind of long wizardly sleeves kind of hang. He is wearing similarly striped pantaloons with long knee length leather boots. There is a very, very old blaster at his side. His thumb is kind of over the belt that is carrying it. As he's walking across, he takes off a pair of mirrored sunglasses that look too small for his face. Good even, gentles, and welcome. And he does a very uh, practice stage bow. Now that is the sort of sartorial chaos that I aspire to one day. I will look at Remy and be like, yours was good. This is fabulous. I know. But I think they were both really good. Well, I'm very excited. I'm going to continue my, drinking my soda and enjoying the show. Good evening, gentles all. Thank you for answering the clarion call of a down on his luck old thespian. You are as welcome sight to me as water to a starving Belandrian seal. And he's kind of trying to pull words out that this was probably more hey. uh, smooth in past Rider times. Strike. We get and it. you're we get pretty it. sure he made up Philandrian seal. I don't think that's how that goes. You're thirsty, surely. You've never been Not to Philandria? Wonderful place <sighs> in the summer. Uh, really? You are uh, a welcome sight to these old traveler's eyes. You are perhaps wondering why an old spacefaring wanderer such as myself would be seeking a fresh young crew of somewhat random travelers. And then he says young, and then he looks over to you, Scott, and it's just like, and others. Well, if I wasn't here, it would be very obvious you were harvesting organs. So I assume I'm just here to put everybody's mind at ease. You're not harvesting organs, are you? I'm not sure you put my mind at ease. <laughs> He's not not harvesting organs. <laughs> I guarantee you sure might have shot. Hmm. One Allow me to introduce myself. Sebastian Illyria Murphy Blaylock, but I am known as Crescendo. And Remy, this is where the shoe drops. The name Crescendo has been bandied about as someone who is kind of a joke in these arenas. Um, at best, a joke, and at worst, kind of a curse. Oh. Like, if you job around here long enough, you'll wind up having to turn down a job from Crescendo. <laughs> and then after all this theatricality, he just kind of looks back and forth like perhaps someone is listening to him and says, but this is a uh, clandestine operation, please. And then he will gesture to uh, Tristan to uh, kind of make room for him at the booth. Tristan will gladly do so. <laughs> and then he uh, he sits. Yes, well, thank you very much for uh, amusing an, an old man in his final days in this universe. Are you dying? No, we are all dying every day as the sand in the hourglass falls one day. You're traveling to another universe? Aren't we all in some way traveling to another universe as the microns in the star drive 
Sorry. Um, so what's the job? Uh, yes, yes, the job. Well, you see, I find myself uh, with a ship, yet no crew. And the ship without a crew is like a, uh, a song without a melody, is like a, a sonnet without a meter, is like... A ravioli without a center. Gosh, mister, do you ever talk in not metaphors? Or maybe just one metaphor, her? I think that would work. That's a good compromise, I think. And here's the other question. Are you in a rush? Uh, well, yes, of course. Let's get down to business, shall we? I have uh, come into possession of some knowledge from uh, sources quite interested in information. Anything coming out of the corporate enclave that might be of use to the general citizenry. Uh, warning or uh, shining a light on some kind of... Uh, felonious activities by these uh, erstwhile organizations and I uh, was lucky enough to receive a contract from and then he actually this time really does kind of look around to see what is it? The Truth Ascendant. Oh. Uh, the Truth Ascendant is a organization that is decidedly criminal under the auspices of the Corporate Council uh, which of course runs the sector. They consider themselves um journalists and disseminators of the truth that the people need to know. They a lot of times pass messages from groups to groups or try to come into possession of data and information from the corporations themselves as to any kind of nefarious projects or breaches of safety protocols. You know, think of any number of horrible things that a corporation can do. If they can get wind of it, they will put it out there. So they're a fairly struggling organization just because of the amount of scrutiny that they're under by the council. So they're in parlances of this game, a lower tier faction, but that's purely because of uh, the amount of danger of their very existence. There is apparently a uh, whistleblower who has a data cache that the uh, Ascendant would like to gain possession of. And I have been given the coordinates of the location of this whistleblower. Needless to say, it is a place that uh, I will need help getting around in due to some not small amount of uh, misunderstanding uh, between myself and the authorities there. Uh, my uh, presence is uh, not welcome at this time. And uh, this mission is something that requires subtlety and ability to go under the radar? Exactly. Hmm. Well, I like our chances. Where is it we would be going? Well, before we uh, get down to the uh, what they common parlance of the nitty-gritty, uh, I would like to uh, set terms between us set roles and characters uh, appropriately uh, named. So I will start with you, uh, good doctor. I, of course, am known as Crescendo. That is my alias. What do we call you in these situations, doctor? Ah, well, I go by, uh, you can call me Dr. Mormo or something else. That will work for yes, now. Yes, I mean, Dr. Mormo is your your name, but your criminal well, Alias, don't call me that while I'm running around. How about Doc? They can, if they look up Doc, they'll get the phone book. Is phone books? Phone book's kind of an old reference. Yeah. They'll get the uh, the the phone registry. Doctor Cheeve will work. Doc Cheeve. Doc Cheeve. Excellent. 
And uh, what shall we call you, my esteemed traveler in light? And uh, he will indicate uh, you, Rick. Uh, well, you can call me Zero. Very well. Zero. Enigmatic. Mysterious. No, just Zero. And you, young man, uh, Tristan, he will turn to you. <coughs> well, I'm Tristan Obadiah. It sure is good to meet you. I didn't know I was supposed to come up with some sort of alias and whatnot, so you just call me Tristan. Well, we are operating a quasi-legal enterprise. By quasi, I mean ill. Did, did you know that you were signing up with a boatload of um, shady folk? Well, I mean, I knew some of the work wasn't going to be necessarily on the bright side of legal, but I didn't know I'd need a fancy alias. I guess you can call me what you want to call Oh, Muffin. There we go, Muffin. All right, Muffin it is. I don't know if I like that, but okay. Well. See <laughs> the Muffin or Donut. <laughs> I will give you uh, five seconds, man. Come up with a better name than Muffin. And you see him visibly lock up. Like, <laughs> he does not come up with something in five seconds. Muffin it is. <laughs> All right, Muffin. <laughs> and you? Hallie, after an ancient spacefaring wanderer brings wonder and delight wherever they go. All right. Well, certainly an omen. Kind of a ball of ice just falling through the... Never mind, never mind. I like that. The metaphor's better. <laughs> oh. Very well. Doc Cheeves, Zero, Hallie, and Muffin. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who cannot see John's face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, there's a spot for Alias on the character sheet, but not everybody filled theirs out. <laughs> We're just going to have to spring them. Tristan looks like he doesn't like it, but he doesn't know what else to do. So he's <laughs> going to go with it because he needs a job. All right. <laughs> the aliases can always be uh, 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 changed. No, no. Note that John finds this hilarious, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Muffin. All right. I'm actually a little jealous of Muffin, I gotta tell yeah. you. That's pretty I know. Good. Especially when he becomes known as a bloodthirsty warrior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not careful, they'll send Muffin after you. <laughs> and maybe a sidekick. <laughs> the first part of our travels will take us to the port of Londinium. Londinium is the largest starport on the planet known officially as Terra Secundus 8347, but is known commonly as Earth 2 or E2 by the citizenry of the Iamora sector. There is a Earth 2 in virtually every sector. It is a planet that is found that has the, you know, it's one of these, uh, what they, we refer to as a Goldilocks planet that has all the uh, closest to Earth-like atmosphere and, and composition and houses no inherent intelligent life. It is terraformed into a uh, closer to uh, ancient Earth-like planet, at least based on the ever-diminishing memory of ancient Earth. At this point in his, a lot of the real nitty-gritty of Earth history is kind of passed into myth and legend. Likely the prime original Earth at this point is undoubtedly uninhabitable. Swallowed by the sun. Well, I mean, it's not that far out, but I think it's more to the planet. The planet has been, you know, pilfered to such an extent that it is probably either, you know, a, a dead rock or a dead rock that had 
encased in metal with cities around it. But these Earth 2s are made to copy certain aspects uh, of the planet, whoever terraforms it. This particular Earth 2 is the home of one of the uh, largest corporations, well, in the League itself, but definitely here in Ayamora, is the home of the Breadbasket Corporation, which is how we refer to them as a... Uh, so basically evil craft. <laughs> A family-friendly consumer goods corporation that sells just about everything. It's kind of like Space Walmart to a certain extent, but creepier in a way. <laughs> if you can imagine such a thing. The corporation itself claims to originate from a small family farm on ancient Earth. The name of the family on the farm has been debated over time as it is not carried over through this corporation as it is, of course, you know, undoubtedly change hands you know, hundreds of times, and more than likely this myth of a family farm is probably total corporate nonsense, but uh, their creed is essentially, you know, family is everything, and we are family. And uh, they are just as wrong as you can probably imagine. But they are, if nothing else, uh, wholesome seeming and overbearing in their kind of corporate message. But Earth 2 is the home of the Breadbasket Corporation, certainly not owned by them per se, but their corporate headquarters is, you know, one of the biggest things. Planets in this game have uh, have certain like ratings and like mechanical elements that I'll kind of be sprinkling in as we go. Each one of these planets are, you know, significant places like plants or stations or moons or whatever will have a rule that is in place there. And the rule at Earth 2 is that everything is available for a price. The mechanical benefit is you can take plus 1D to acquire assets, but on a 1 to 3 on your roll, it will come with strings, even if you boost the result with crits. And all those things will make sense later. But Londinium is the largest starport on Earth 2 and the hub of shipping for the Breadbasket company. So you can get pretty much anything there. Corpsec has a large presence there, but there's also a black market that is so vast that they can never really keep up with it. However, whatever Crescendo has done to get him target on Londinium, it's likely not with Corpsec. <laughs> <laughs> it is probably more with any number of, uh, of criminal syndicates that operate in the Londinium port. So, uh, that little travelogue aside, well, Basically, uh, the operation is we travel to Londinium, uh, we make contact with this whistleblower who will give us the data cache, and then once we have the data cache secured, we will bring it to uh, Truth Ascendant at a point that they will give us once we secure the package. So all we need to do is, is just get something from a person in the starport and leave. Oh, gosh, that seems pretty simple. That was easy. Yes, like I said, a, a pretty simple job. It's just that um, I misunderstandings in that port. I, 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 I'm sure we'll be uh, uh, rectified uh, in the future. Happens all the time. I just need to uh, be assured that this job is to your liking. And if once completed, each one of you, uh, you well, you will have a choice. I can you, uh, you become a member of this crew and the fortune that comes after it, or I can like, certainly pay you out, let's say, um, two cred. So uh, let's talk about cred. 
for a minute. Yeah. Money in these games is a kind of nebulous thing. You don't need to like track money like you do in regular role-playing games or have X amount of gold and X amount of silver and da da da. Uh, cred is an abstract measure of cash and liquid assets. Physical currency exists in like smaller denominations. So you're generally always ought to have, you know, money to, you know, buy food, buy drinks. you know, just <laughs> yeah. to yeah, secure regular things. But uh, cred is uh, the equivalent of about a month's wages of weekly income for a small business, a fine piece of art or a set of luxury clothes. So, you know, being bought out for two credits is not nothing. But if you, uh, you stay on the ship, obviously you kind of become part of that ship's rolling economy. Now, two cred a piece, if you bought you all out, um, seems like a lot. So, um, you know, I'm not making to make you roll anything, but it seems rather unlikely that he has, if he had that amount of cash on hand, that he would just be like kind of hiring whoever answered this very loose call. But he has a ship and... And we are the only four Yalbos that showed up. That's not nothing. I choose to take this as that we are highly qualified people who were specifically targeted after an exhausted vetting process. But, you know, maybe we're Yavos. I don't know. Ooh, whole credits? That's a lot of money. I mean, oh, I mean muffin. muffin is solid, right? It is nothing compared to the fortune that a good crew can make on the open market. Trust me, I've been in this game for quite a, quite a few years. And, uh, and a storied history you have. Absolutely. My vessel is uh, somewhat of a legend in these parts. So if you are all uh, amenable to the deal of a lifetime, we could get underway. All right. Well, it certainly sounds like the deal of my lifetime so far. So let's do it. It's your lucky day, sir. I'm in. Very well. Doc, Zero, Allie, and Muffin. Follow me. And uh, he gets up with a flourish. Uh, he does everything with a flourish. He like, mm-hmm. you know, scratches his nose with a flourish. Flourishes at the drop of the hat, which was preceded by a flourish. He sneaks up on his opponents with a flourish. All right. He sleeps with a flourish. <laughs> All right. Well, I will finish my um, my whizbang cola, and and then I will pour the. I will sit at the shot, and I will contemplate it for a little while, and then I will pour it into the empty whizbang bottle jam the cap back on it and that's my thing for you know just in case the job goes wrong okay just it will finish his beer <laughs> excellent all right so you follow crescendo to the berth that his ship is in how much of a shit bag is this ship well you tell me when we discussed the ship, it is called a tough light freighter garish color scheme with lots of aftermarket doodads that do nothing is what I put on here. I spelled almost every word of that wrong, but it's on there. So give me a general description of the ship and then I will fill in a little bit uh, at the end. All right. Who wants it? I'll take All right. It. All right. You go. Go ahead, baby. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you're the mechanic. I am the mechanic. <laughs> So the CF-350 series is a workhorse. It is a classic chassis uh, that consists of a, a single component generally shaped as a box. It is well known as a flying brick through space with plenty of cargo space for your average independent prospector and serviceable engines. This ship probably was that when it started. 
but it has been decades since it was constructed and it has probably passed through as many owners. Over the years, it has been remodeled innumerable times. Uh, at one point, they tried to give it a more sleek profile with a center square component that narrows out into a point where the cockpit is. But that work looks shoddy. It is clearly was done after market. The metal is just different. The, the seams don't quite line up. The engines have never been replaced, but it's that old Greek philosophy question of, if you replace every component in something, is it the same thing that it started as? Ship of Theseus, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, the Ship of Theseus. Uh, yep. The engines have been, or have been broken down, put back together, aftermarket components added to them. It's not entirely certain what their actual specifications are and whether or not they are more than a stock or less than a stock. You can argue that forever. Uh, there are probably hard points along the hull where weapons components at one point were there and have since been removed and just steel plates have been welded into place over those ports so the ship remains mostly airtight. <laughs> Plus it very obviously was like, look, no weapons, see, mm -hmm. leave us alone. If you go inside the ship, the cargo hold has been cut up into sections that replace the crew quarters that used to be in this section of the ship, that, that front section of the ship that they made narrower. But while there are compartments in that front section, they're all very awkwardly shaped. Someone, to use a housing analogy, could claim <laughs> this was four bedrooms, but hmm. three of those bedrooms are not usable. Don't get bitter, baby. And as you have not chosen to start with the crew quarters amenity, uh-huh. I will say another thing. The largest remaining part of the cargo hold is these strange ropes and pulley systems <laughs> up and down one side. They do not have the, like, even the remotest amount of strength to carry any, like, significant amount of cargo. And they're so close together that you don't know what they would do with them. But it does look like they... Uh, are designed to move just these large steel poles around up and down. And some of them have this old torn fabric. And for some reason, this guy's a whole big room that just like has a series of like weird drapes and curtains. And there's like a collection of like topped together from flashlights and emergency lights and this like a bunch of uh, just lights in place on the floor near where the door goes down. And none of this is safe. Remy, you probably would uh, I, I be able, you might, might, I'm just trying to think of who of you might, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a stage. This is a, <laughs> a, like a very old school, like stage. It is like all of the curtains are like old and moth eaten and uh, it's in a bad state of disrepair. You could very easily get rid of all this shit and put stuff there and that makes more sense. But the other thing uh, that you will notice is that the color scheme of the ship is haphazard, bright and garish. 
there were spots where there were like lights kind of tacked onto this thing that aren't there anymore, but in all likelihood, like flashed around and you will see the remnants of words, uh, like a sign that was painted on the side of this thing underneath all kinds of scoring. And it's like cut in half by like one steel plate that was put on there to cover some kind of very obvious hull breach. And you see the letters C-K-S-T-I-E-L-T-R-E going down. And uh, uh, it, it appears that this is probably a sign that was on the ship at one point or another, but uh, uh, most of it has been uh, covered up by a big steel plate and then the rest of it covered over by what cannot be, but looks to be kind of blast scoring. Like this should have been shot at a bunch. Uh, I'm sorry, I'd like to add two more things about the interior. Okay. One, at some point, there appeared to have been stalls for animals in the cargo <laughs> hold. And it's obviously, over the years, much like the rest of the ship, it's gone from being a stage. At one point, it was probably a passenger ship, like to carry people from port to port or whatever and stuff. I mean, the interior's obviously been torn down and rebuilt numerous times. Yeah. So that's all I'm adding. Uh, oh, and there's one more thing. In, in the interior of the ship, when you're passing through it, the one part that seems to be in the best shape is a galley. It's refrigeration and the cooking equipment is all in pretty good shape. It's fairly new, but it appears to be the only part of this ship that has been kept up. And there's like this old wooden round table, or is it a round table? Or is it's more of an oval. An oval table, okay. Yeah, it's more of an oval. An old heavy wood table with these old wooden chairs um, that are probably hundreds of year old, but built very sturdily. And this is because you have taken the uh, special ability with your ship. Um, now, there are a number of special abilities that come with the Star Dancer ship. There's a, a, a thing that allows you to uh, uh, gain potency on Scrambler Helm rules to uh, run from a blockade or things that will get you more cred for smuggling and delivery jobs or will make it so it's easier for you to pass through uh, dangerous places uh, without being noticed. We, of course, chose none of those. Who needs that shit? <laughs> but the special ability you took to start this game, and I give you credit for this, is home cooking, where basically the crew can have a dinner that will help them uh, recover stress gained from the jobs. Because if you don't have your health, what do you have? It is rarely one that people start with, but um, it tells you everything you're going to need about this crew. <laughs> and when you arrive at the berth and see the ship for the first time, Crescendo spins around, flourish. <laughs> Gentles all, I give you the showstopper. And that is where we will stop for tonight. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> as uh, we have set the stage, as it were, for our crew and their uh, ridiculous ship, the showstopper. Our amazing ship that probably will survive a atmospheric landing. <laughs> Maybe. It has so far. I suppose it depends on who's piloting. Maybe. We will see you in two weeks. Yay! 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 Thank you, everybody, for listening. And once again, we would love to thank our Apprentice Architect Patreons. Jillian and John Christensen, Suzanne Bell, and Caitlin Thompson. We could not do this without you. 
You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash AOE podcast. Have fun. We'll see you next time.